Sunny 16 presents Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lighting Lounge. This is going to be episode number nine, and I am joined uh, again from a different time zone uh, by Yvonne Hansen in uh, Vancouver, if I'm not mistaken. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming. So it's I think it's uh, mid morning or almost almost noon there for you, and it's evening for yep. me. Uh, magic of internet interviews again. So I was, I was, um, I came across your channel or I was pointed to your channel by a previous guest, Jamie Maldonado. He sent me some tips of people who I could look into to, uh, maybe have on the show. And he, he pointed me to your work and I looked you up and started watching some of your mini, mini YouTube videos and checked out your website and wrote and said, Hey, do you want to come over and talk about lighting? And clearly you said yes. So here you are. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about anything photography related if given the chance. So <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So um, why don't you give people listening or maybe you haven't heard of you the you know, the 30 second breakdown, your your pitch, your elevator pitch. Who are you? What's your work? All right. Well, my name is Yvonne Hansen. I am a fashion and beauty photographer based out of Vancouver, Canada. I run a small YouTube channel uh, where I talk about photography and photography related topics. I do gear, film photography and stuff like that, but I also delve a bit deeper into video essays and more of the thoughtful, philosophical side of photography when I can. And I also travel a lot and take a lot of pictures abroad. Mm, sounds great. Yeah. And you've got, you've got a bunch of um, pictures from fashion weeks and, and a lot of fashion stuff that you've done in beauty, beauty photography, that sort of thing. So, um, We'll have links and and uh, all your your uh, social media, your website, and that sort of thing. We'll link later so people can go and take a look themselves. Um, so, what what got you into photography and and especially analog photography? So, I mean, photography I had initially gotten into because I thought that I was going to be able to make money on the side while I was going to school for something completely unrelated, and that was such a joke, <laughs> and I did not realize at the time. And then it completely took over my life. And uh, now I'm a fashion photographer. What got me into analog photography was when I first got into photography, I didn't know how to use Photoshop. And so most of what I was doing was all in camera effects and playing with lighting and long exposure and stuff like that to create sort of interesting and unusual looks. Analog photography offers this whole other world of in-camera effects because you can manipulate the film stock, but you can also manipulate the development process and different ways of exposing and playing with the film is going to produce a different result. And that's basically a way of like changing the colors a la Photoshop non-digitally, which is a pretty cool, pretty cool technology to have. Yeah. And um, so you're, your website, I, you know, I was looking through the pictures on your website and they look, mostly digital from what I could see. Um, and it seems like on your, on your Instagram and stuff, you've got some kind of reels with the, the analog stuff, but how does, how does film and film photography kind of fit into your, your work and your photography life? I like to say that digital is my job and film photography is my hobby. And so, yeah, on my website, it's mostly digital because that's the kind of work that I do. 
And I don't really want them to cross over. I don't want to get clients who want me to shoot all in film because that's kind of contaminating that that passion, right? Mm. So on Granary, you can find a lot of my film photography work and yeah, Instagram reels. But mostly I keep that as like my personal passion uh, rather than part of my work. And um, I guess uh, maybe dive into that a bit more. Why is... Um... Why is why is film the hobby and and you don't want to bring that into your work work half of it? Well, there's the practical aspect where shooting a client's work on film is going to be very stressful because mm-hmm. you get one shot and there's no checking, there's no thumbing through images, making sure that you got the picture. Um, so that that's one piece. But also, I don't know the the act of taking photos on film to me feels different than digital photos. There's an element of uniqueness. Um, Instead of taking 200 photos of the same thing to like really hedge your bets, you're taking basically one frame, two maybe. And if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out. And that's just part of the art making process, right? So for me, film photography is a lot more about how it feels to create the art than about the actual resulting product. Yeah, that's interesting. We are. I was talking on the last episode. Um, it hasn't actually gone out yet, but it was with Jake Hicks. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, um, uh, but he. We were talking about is it is it the actual act of taking the picture and using the analog device, or is it the results that come from that? Um, and I, for me, it's it's more about the actual moment of taking the picture. Yeah. I don't know how yeah. how was that for you. No, I, I totally agree. And I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, because as I was telling you before we started filming, I, um, I've got a video coming out tomorrow about tropes and repetitiveness in film photography, and why we tend to gravitate towards certain subject matters, even though we know that those subject matters are oversaturated. So for example, classic cars, that's the trope. Everybody takes a picture of a classic car on film, but you still get caught in the gravity of a classic car being hit by golden hour sun. And you're not going to pass up an opportunity to take a film photo of that, even though you know it's oversaturated. So that to me tells me it's more about that act of taking the photo than it is about the photo itself. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that video when it comes out. That should be cool. We did um, on the on the Sunny Sixteen. They did a, a cheap shots challenge a while ago, and the the topic of that was cliches. And so it was really fun to see what people sent in for cliches. I think there was a lot of a lot of gas station pictures with uh, <laughs> Sinistil and that sort of thing. <laughs> Naturally, uh, yeah. Um, so a, another question that I like to ask, kind of shifting a bit to the the topic of light, is. Um, and I'm, I haven't yet figured out a way to phrase the question well, so maybe we'll figure that out. But um, what is the difference for you between an available light photo and a photo that is lit? Ooh, that's a great question. I actually just got in like a, a mini debate with somebody on Instagram over this, um, like natural versus available light, mm-hmm. right? And I had considered them to be the same thing. Um, apparently they're not. <laughs> I was educated but available light i think a lot of photographers start out using available light and that's things like on film i mean we see a lot of neon shots people next to neon windows with sunglasses and prism in front of the lens and like (laughs) i i don't know i feel like that's like 
a lot of photographers start out with that and like I did too absolutely no shame in it whatsoever and then once you kind of have taken that photo a thousand times you get kind of tired of it and you want to start elevating it and so you start incorporating other little things to sort of change it up and I mean what is photography if not painting with light technically all photography is painting with light so incorporating your own light is like the best way to paint with your photography kind of a natural evolution I think so would you consider like anything that that has been or any like is a reflector then considered lighting it, just in your mind doesn't matter what what is right or not but would you think like yeah, yeah. I, I would call it a light modifier right like a v-flat's a light modifier a white sheet is a light modifier if you want it to be right I I don't yeah. I guess it would be in yeah in the category of lighting yeah that's cool because when we started this podcast and I've, I've said this on previous episodes I thought like well it's really clear you know lighting is lighting that's when you're you know in a studio and you're doing light but then I thought started thinking about it, it's like well no it could it could be a reflector it could be for me the gray area is like if you're if you're moving your subject to good light is that lighting or is that just clever use of the available light i don't know that's kind of the gray area for me but yeah that's a good question i think it like boils down to like if you were to have a single beam of sunlight coming in from the ceiling and you then use a system of reflectors to channel that light to hit the subject you're definitely lighting the subject even though you're not using a light right mm. so yeah. interesting it's it's kind of a fun fun question for me anyways to see what what different people answer and, uh, yeah so um on on your website you say clean naturally lit is kind of in your in your subtext what what do you mean by that uh that actually might be um old text because okay. i used to shoot predominantly outdoors mm -hmm. and um, the sort of interface between light and shadow was a pretty key component of a lot of my work, especially back in like 2020, 2021. Um, I got my studio in 2021. So the last two years, I've really been like building off of artificial light, which is quite a learning curve. But yeah, early on, like what I would look for in a good photograph is how the shadows kind of interact with the subject. And yeah, shadows, again, is just a, a form of lighting. Um, so that's sort of what I was trying to describe with that text. And and what do you, what were you looking for, for the shadows? Like, what were, what were you trying to create or? I think it's, it's all about isolating the subject to me or complementing the subject in some way. So, you know, isolating the subject being there's two beams of shadow and then a beam of light and you stand the subject right in the beam of light and you get a reflector to kind of like fill in one side of their face or whatever. And I find that to be a really striking composition because they're, they stand out from the background, but you can still see the background. Um, can you repeat the question? Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just uh, when you're, when you're looking at a nice shadow or, or you're seeing light and you're thinking, okay, that's a cool interaction oh, right, of light right, and right. shadow. What are you looking right, for? Right, right. Okay. So, the other aspect would be complementing the subject. So say there's a shadow coming through a, a metal grid and it's casting this grid pattern of shadows down and your subject is wearing, um, say, a checkerboard top or a checker pattern top. That, that's going to complement the subject. And so you can stand in front of that and then you get this really cool interaction between the shadow and the subject. Um, so there's a few locations in Vancouver that like I really had a hard time tearing myself away from because 
it was so easy to complement even the most basic outfits with the way that light and shadow interacted in these locations. Um, so a lot of my early work is shot kind of in the same like two block radius of, of really cool buildings um, because of that that aspect. Cool. Oh, go where go where you know, I guess too, because that's always a. Mm. Uh, and what's close by. Um, uh, before we started, I was kind of scrolling through your Instagram and um, you mix you mix a lot of architectural images with portrait shots, which I found interesting. And I was I was looking at them and trying to figure out because there's clearly a system as to how you've how you've arranged and posted these images. And the only thing that I could come up with is that it's like a color palette. It's almost like a, like a color gradient as you're, as you're scrolling through the Instagram. Um, so what, what's your thought process about that? How you, how you post those or. That's so funny that you should mention, because yeah, I definitely, I have a, an app called preview that lets okay. you load in, you know, as many photos as you want and just kind of organize them like they would appear on an Instagram grid. And so like, Pretty much since the beginning of my Instagram, I have been really focused on curating the feed as part of how the photos are presented. I think when we see photos in a gallery, the way that they are presented on the walls can have a serious impact on how we interpret the photos. And so given kind of the limited criteria of an Instagram grid, I'm trying to do what I can to influence the way that we that the outside viewer would perceive my photos by curating it in in whatever way I can, right? And I've tried to get away from that <laughs> a few <laughs> times. I've really tried. You can see every once in a while, I'll shake it up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something different. I'm like, get, a, get away from the grid thing. And, and I'll have like a week of, of posting things that are a little bit more random. And then it always kind of gravitates back towards being this very curated color palette consistency um and so i've just accepted that that's that's how i'm gonna present my work no, that's cool i do i do a three color and then three black and whites kind of alternating and yeah so that, i love that yeah i like I've seen, it, it's not an original that. idea but it's it's nice and it kind of it it makes a nice transition it's, it's very clear yeah. and um uh, speaking of black and white, I, I don't see a lot of black and white uh, of, from your stuff. Do you do mostly color? Yeah, I, I every once in a while I'll shoot a roll of black and white film just to like try my hand at it or like, you know, prove to myself that I can make good compositions with lack of color. But I really enjoy color photography. Maybe you can tell us from my Instagram, but color photography that is monochromatic. And that's kind of been my obsession recently. Mm -hmm. So there's still colors in the frame, but it has the same impact and composition as a monochromatic image. Um, I've been having a lot of fun with that. I'm trying to get away from it again. I'm trying to go back to some color. I know it's like Y2K Barbie time. I want to get some like, bright <laughs> colors going, but I'm just not in the headspace for it right now creatively. Oh, that's cool. I, I personally have a hard time with color often. So for me, uh, a good cheat is to just pick one color and make everything about that color. And then it's kind of like, yeah. you can, you can actually see behind my head. There's a, there's a lady in a yellow shirt with a yellow background with a yellow Kiwi. Um, you know, and so, I see the red, red shirt, red and hair. The red, red yeah. Yeah. Glasses. So, um, anyways, yeah. So that's, that's my way yeah. of dealing with colors just to pick one and go with it. I think that's extremely effective. Yeah. Um, 
you you posted a, a little story. It said today, but I guess it was yesterday, probably for you, of doing like a photo meetup and portrait shoot. Um, photo walk. Talk about that. Yeah. A bit. That looked cool. Yeah, that was sweet. So that's um, there's this London Drugs, which is like a, a drugstore here in Canada. They sell photography equipment, and at this particular location, they've got a guy who's like a veteran photographer. Um, I think partially retired from photography, working at London Drugs um, to get discounts on equipment and things. <laughs> and uh, and he plans these meetups through the store using the store resources. And there'll be like 20 people that show up. I've been to three of them now. And he uses, um, you know, the, the lighting and the, the transmitters and all of these different things that you can purchase at the store and brings us out and kind of takes us around. And so the first one I went to, just kind of for fun. And then the other two I've been to sort of as like in an instructional role or an instructor role, because there's a lot of new photographers who turn up. There's a lot of photographers who are very comfortable with film, um, but haven't quite gotten comfortable with digital yet or digital technologies related to that, like Photoshop and, you know, photo sorting and things. So it's been really interesting um, kind of interacting with photographers on every level and also just being surrounded by a community of photographers in person, which is, I think, not something that I am exposed to very often. Yeah, it's always great to just sit around and chat with other like-minded people. That's, yeah, that's, you always that's learn also, something new. It's also part of the reason why I started doing this podcast because it's like it's always fun to talk about photography and get to meet new people, and it's cool. Totally. Yeah. So you guys were you, you were using Flash Outdoors for that? Yeah. So they use a, a Godox AD two hundred, which is also what I use. Um, that's like my go-to is two Godox AD 200s. Um, he uses quite a smaller softbox than what I would be comfortable with. So I typically, when I, when I do shoot that, I will, um, either have the softbox like way pulled back and like super cranked, or I'll just not use the artificial lighting and stick with the reflector. Um, because there's so many people, it's really easy to get someone mm. to hold the reflector for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which... I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with the struggle of trying to take photos with one hand and hold the reflector with the other. Like, okay, give me one second. Trying to focus. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> It'll work out, but yeah, especially with a big but, long lens. Yeah. Yeah. Which I only ever shoot with a 24 to 70. I, I pretty much, it stays on my camera body 24 seven. So okay, cool. So let's see. I'm going to look at my little list here. Um, so moving a bit more into the the fashion shows, what what's it like to kind of go and and photograph one of those? It really depends on what side of the stage you're on. So photographing runway is an extremely different experience than photographing backstage. Um, I vastly prefer backstage to runway. Runway, there's no opportunity to light it. Um, hmm. So it's more about your timing and there's ways to brute force timing, right? Mm. There's no real good way to brute force lighting, but if you just shoot on burst mode and you have your camera set up and you have like a 70 to 200 uh, and you just go mm. the entire show, you're gonna get 20,000 photos, but you are gonna get the right photos, the ones that you were hired to get. Yeah. I don't find that incredibly engaging. That's more of like a job sort of thing, right? Mm. That's just brute work. Um, whereas backstage, you know, I set up creative lighting and um, I'll bring two or three different lights and change it up. And you've got models in beautiful designer outfits and they're professional models with professional hair and makeup. 
And basically every shot is an opportunity to create um, an editorial, like a styled editorial image. And you've got 200 models. <laughs> so there's 200 different opportunities to create these unique editorial images. That is like my absolute favorite kind of photography to do. Um, and it's very fast paced. It's very like, you gotta be on your toes. You gotta be out of the way. You can't like leave gear lying around. You can't have cords everywhere. Like you have to be really like tight and organized and neat and efficient, which is really where I excel. I think um, is when there's like time pressure and space pressure. And I just have to like quickly think of something and do it and, and make it happen. Hmm. Really engaging. So, so uh, how, do, how does that work? You have like a spot and then they're walking by on the way to or from the yeah. runway or how does that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So basically like um, I've done it in a few different venues, but mostly it's the hour before the show because all of the models are pretty much done hair and makeup. They're in their outfits. They're just lining up. And so you set up a spot out of the way of the runway, but very near the runway and not in view of the audience that you can go and grab models out of line and then bring them over and take pictures of them. And of course, this needs to be completely facilitated by the event organizers. Um, there's always photographers who are hired to shoot BTS and will try to do backstage editorials and they are completely in the way. <laughs> so you need to, you need to be, be in parlance with the, uh, with the event organizers before you do this. But, um, the last one that I did was at Vancouver fashion week and they had actually like set up this little sort of box area for me that was a decent amount of space, which is something that I'm not used to. And I was able to set up a different sort of background slash set every day of the five day fashion week. So the first day we did like this Mylar set and the second day we did these punching bag props. And then we did um, sort of a like painter's plastic and drop cloth industrial sort of look. Um, so that's always fun. And then the back of the, the screen, so a fashion show, you know, there's a big screen and then the runway goes down in front of the screen. Well, the back of that screen is like this crazy alien sci-fi looking thing. It's got LED okay. lights and plugins and wires and they all connect. And so for, you know, outfits that are shiny or holographic or have some kind of interesting textile or construction or something, posing them with that screen is extremely cool. And every fashion show pretty much has that backdrop available. So, yeah. yeah that, sounds, that sounds really cool. When you're doing something like that, are there a bunch of different photographers kind of doing the same sort of behind the scenes fashion shots? Usually, yeah. So I, I do make like a, a delineation between behind the scenes and backstage. Um, behind the scenes, I would consider to be things like models getting their hair and makeup done and models kind of chatting with each other in line and, and testing clothing and designers, you know, steaming things and stuff like that. Um, whereas backstage, I would consider to be the editorial, the more editorial shots. They're posed, they're lit, they're, um, you know. And so there's usually a lot of photographers doing behind the scenes um, because every designer sometimes, depends on the show, I guess, but a lot of the times every designer will have their own photographer um, hired to, to photograph their collection back there. But the actual backstage editorial aspect is a little bit more rare. Um, there's often like two or three of us, uh, not, you know, seven or eight, um, as there is backstage or behind the scenes photographers. Okay. And so how long, how long do you have like, you know, a model or sometimes two, I guess comes to you and you've, how long have you got? <laughs> 
seconds, seconds, <laughs> like 15 photos. So like one, two, three. Okay. One, two, three. Uh, okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. Uh, good. Thank you. Bye. Okay. That's about wow. it. Okay. Um, so when there's good photos that come out of that, it feels really good. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. So you're, you're getting all of your, your, everything's dialed in before, you know, anybody comes in. Oh yeah. The lighting. I mean, it's always good to have an assistant to test lighting because mm. whenever you want to change the lighting configuration, you don't want to have the same lighting for every single, all 200 models. Right. Um, so you have the assistant stand there. Okay. Let's test that. Okay. Go grab me five models. Okay. They come do that. Okay. Change up the lighting. Go grab another eight models. Test that. Um, that's that tends to be like kind of my system for that and and how long do you have like in between the models are they like lining up or is it kind of like you have a minute kind in between depends on the time yeah like during intermissions a lot of the models will come and line up um during like the before period before the show that's when i tend to have to go and pull them out of line um sometimes there's like conflicts between the person who's hired to keep them in line and me who's hired to pull them out of line mm. um which is always very, very funny because it's like you are doing a job but i'm also doing mine so i'm gonna yeah. take them sorry yeah. um but yeah a lot of the times it kind of depends on the show as well what the organizers have told the models beforehand um i had one show where the entire show happened and then all of the models from the entire show lined up in sequential order to get photographed by me like school portrait style wow a lot <laughs> it's like no breaks like photograph 80 people in a row <laughs> <It's> like, <Wow. laughs> yeah that sounds crazy i that's not how i work i usually have like you know three or four hours in a studio with one model and it's like really relaxed and let's try this yeah. <laughs> sounds like the total yeah, opposite pretty opposite yeah. pretty opposite but that's i mean that was new york so that was in like a hotel and they only had the hotel for like a certain number of hours so they were like mm. okay get it done like it's <laughs> like i'll get it done okay let's go and we got oh. some fun shots so. that's cool so um what what is kind of your or what was a lighting setup or what was something that you had in mind when you were when you were doing that are you how are, how are you lighting um, these so i i really like to have a super glossy and I call it kind of crystalline lighting look, particularly for this backstage editorial style. Um, so for me, it's a giant octo box, um, right at like a 45 degree angle. We do like a like a Rembrandt sort of octo mm -hmm. box. And then in the background, I will have either a strip box. So I'm like this behind them to give that like nice kind of hair light. Mm -hmm. Or I'll just set up a bare bulb right behind them to give this sort of star of lighting. Mm -hmm. And I find, especially when there's aspects of the stage visible, so you've got boxes and wires and maybe like a, like a PA back there, and and then the the stage background and the curtain, it looks really cool to have that that bare bulb spotlight shining on them from behind. And that also, if they've got translucent clothing or clothing like that's got some kind of non-opaque aspect to it, mm. the light helps to show that. And that can be a really good benefit for the designer as well because it shows off the textile. Yeah. Cool. So that's, that's my preference. <laughs> yeah. And, and so are you, are you then um, sharing those photos with the designers or how does that kind of happen that you, you're there? Yeah. So it depends on who's hiring me. Um, Usually when I've shot backstage, it has been the event organizer hiring me. 
And what I'll do is I'll, I'll give them a very special low price as long as they allow me to then sell the photos to the designers. Okay. And so I'll do, you know, here's a bunch of watermark shots with my big Yvonne Hansen photography mm. watermark over top of them. And if you want to buy this, you can buy this gallery of 60 photos mm. for like 250 bucks or something. Yeah. And if all five designers buy their gallery of photos, well, now I've made a good chunk of change and the organizers didn't have to pay me a thousand dollars to be there. So. Yeah. All right. That sounds cool. Yeah, you've, you've also got some videos on your website, I think, about how you do that and, you know, some th some of the business of photography stuff a bit, which is yeah. which is a whole other thing. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the business uh, of photography is the worst part, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's that's often the case. If you do something creative, then trying to make a, make a living doing it is, you know, uh, a challenge, I guess, and, or it can be. So um, I'm a jeweler, so I make jewelry for a living and... I, I love oh, so it, but you know, the, yeah. But I spent most, of the, spent most of the day doing paperwork today, so that's that's how it goes sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and um, then it feels like you didn't do anything. Like I'll spend the day uh, doing paperwork, and then I'm like, oh, I haven't worked at all today. What was yeah. I doing? What was I doing all day? <laughs> I did nothing. Yeah, I was doing no. taxes. Why was I doing taxes? I wrote yeah. photos to edit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. Do you do you integrate film at all into your fashion stuff, like just for you or as your yeah. hobby? Yeah, yeah, I do, and I love it. Like some of the the coolest photos I've taken on film, I took backstage at uh, Vancouver Fashion Week. They're probably not the coolest, but I find them very cool. And I took them on this film stock called Revlog Tesla, which oh, yeah. comes pre-exposed with uh, lightning bolts. It's basically Kodak Gold 200 with lightning bolts on it. Um, but this collection that walked at Vancouver Fashion Week by Alex S.U. He does these crazy like holographic kind of um, it's like a like a Shibuya girl inspired Y2K look and that on film with the Thunderbolts and like the crazy like digital screen background. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Oh, I'll never I'll, I, that was my peak, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool and that's that's so, kind of I luck of the draw that. isn't it it's just you never know what the lightning yeah. is going to look like yeah it's luck of the draw which i guess that's that's kind of how i approach film photography anyways is like sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't sometimes mm. sometimes you get really weird light leaks and sometimes you get a really cool light leak right um so you know revlog tesla is a way of just kind of artificially introducing uh, a greater aspect of that to the photography mm. which i enjoy Cool. And, and do you, have you used others of those? Like, I don't know, Revlog is one, but there's also some, I think there's other, um, like double I film also does some yeah. kind of interesting, um, yeah, got, specialty um, things. I'm, I'm shooting with a BK I I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but they're a Brooklyn based film company. Um, they have a grid one that comes like pre-exposed with this rainbow grid pattern. So oh, that's cool. in my camera right now. But I've also shot with Revlog Volvox, which comes mm -hmm. pre-exposed with green dots and mm -hmm. Psychedelic Blues. And okay. honestly, out of all of them, Psychedelic Blues is probably not the easiest to shoot with, but you're most likely to get good results with Psychedelic Blues. Um, it comes pre-exposed with like these geometric shapes, um, kind of assorted geometric shapes of different colors, but they don't override the image so you could have you know somebody's head and then the circle of, of color around somebody's head um, and it's random so obviously you can't like predict it that way but if it works out it works out really well and i got a lot of cool photos in that role mm, cool have you also used like some of the lomography films like 
purple or turquoise or metropolis that was the or first roll i ever shot with was yeah. uh was lomochrome purple yeah okay um that's why i wanted to shoot with film was so that i could do weird stuff and so as soon as i got my film camera i was like oh i'm gonna buy the weirdest stuff i can find and lomochrome purple scratched that itch uh, but yeah i've shot with almost all of them i've never shot with turquoise or red scale uh, okay. but the rest of them i have and i I like them. <laughs> ah, cool. I've got a roll of the um, the Cinestill Red Rum, uh, the the um, middle format, the the 120 uh, red oh scale God, film, cool. and I've, I've I'm, I'm waiting to do something cool with it, but I don't know what to do with it. Oh, yet, so. I shoot with that so bad. Oh my God, oh, I'm I jealous. Know. Oh. I, know. I picked it up when it, when it came out. Yeah, I was like, okay, now I got to find something cool to do with it. <laughs> so what? That is um, cool. Yeah, what what are is kind of your go to camera when you're when you're shooting film, or do you mix around a lot? It's uh, it's all Nikon F eight hundred one S. I have two of them so mm -hmm. that I can have different film going at the same time. Uh, it's it's relatively affordable. It's like a hundred dollar mm -hmm. camera, um, okay. but they're perfect. It's like a it's like a digital. It's got a digital display, autofocus, mm -hmm. all that, but film. Love it. So it's kind of kind of the the '90s SLR kind of plastic. Yeah, yeah, it was like right like in the digital age when digital photography was not yet a thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it's got all of the functionality basically of a digital camera, and it's nearly identical to my digital Nikon camera in terms of layout. So I okay, find cool. it very easy to switch between them. Yeah, and you can share lenses then too. Yeah, well, kind of. Um, the it doesn't work very well with my digital era lenses it will use okay. them but it doesn't adjust aperture and it won't like even if you adjust the aperture on the lens itself it it doesn't register so it'll be f22 and it'll meter f22 and that makes it difficult to shoot yeah okay i can see that being a problem <laughs> yeah yeah but if I've you never... want to shoot in like broad daylight <laughs> you can do it yeah yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I've got I've got a um a Canon that's similar to that, but it it uses the EOS lenses, so you can just kind of switch them. That works pretty well. That seems useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's let's talk about getting away from the fashion week when you're in your space. And you mentioned that you've you've got a studio in twenty one, so you have your own studio. Yeah. So I actually I rent it, but it's like a monthly rental. Mm -hmm. Um. So it's a lot cheaper than renting by the hour and I can store all my stuff there and like I'm accustomed to shooting there. So it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's mine in the same way that like the house that I live in is mine. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, that sounds really nice. Just being able to kind of keep your stuff there, have it set up the way you want it to be and, and that sort of thing. So yeah. what, um, when you're going to do a shoot in your studio, what are kind of the considerations? What are, what are the things that go into planning a studio shoot for you? Yeah. So, I mean, we'll always talk with the client about what they're looking for. Um, I send them some examples of photos that I've done in the past and kind of, you know, guide their hand. Like, is this sort of what you're looking for? Because I can do this sort of lighting setup. Or I'll ask them to send me some photos that I've taken in the past that represent the kind of look that they're going for. Um, more often than not, it's like one of three lighting setups. Um, and so I do find myself sort of gravitating towards those lighting setups because they're easy and popular. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm doing something creative, I really want to step beyond those lighting setups. Um, I'll specifically avoid them, which, you know, some of my creative stuff doesn't work out because I'm trying something new and 
new things aren't always better, (laughs) but it's always, uh, it's like kind of a continuous learning process. And if I'm going to do something creative, I want to be learning something from it. Um, I don't want to just want to get another, like, you know, nice glossy looking image because I've got a lot of those in my portfolio already. Hmm. So what, let's say you've got a creative idea. You want to try something different, not for a client, just for yourself. And maybe you've got some idea, some inspiration. How do you go about then teaching yourself or figuring out how to make that work or, or not, but, um, you know, trying to experiment with that? Yeah. So I guess it depends on the origin of the idea. If, if it's something that you know, I've tried things that are similar and then suddenly I'm struck by inspiration and I'm like, wow, I bet you I could do this. Then I will approach a model who I'm friends with and be like, do you want to try something weird? I pretty much never do that with new models because mm. when I'm trying stuff out, I'm like experimenting, I get kind of flustered if somebody's watching mm. me like, are you good? Are you getting the results that you want? Are you happy mm. with how they're turning out? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> But with a model who I've shot with before I'm friends with, I can be like, okay, uh, take five. Like, I'm going to mess around with this and and we'll come back to it. And maybe this is going to work. Maybe it's not. But uh, if it doesn't work, then we'll just, I'll give you some headshots at the end to make this worth your time or something like that, right? Um, And and usually that's like a good kind of trade-off. Like, you give me time, I give you updated headshots. (laughs) And that's not going to take me very much time at the end of the session. Um, But a lot of the time I have five lights that I'll set Mm -hmm. up. So I've got two continuous lights, or no, sorry, two strobe lights and three continuous lights. And I'll set all those up if I'm doing a creative set and then just mess around with them, reorganize them. I've got all my light modifiers, pop those on and off as needed and just see what kinds of things we can do with those ingredients. Cause that's, that should be enough ingredients to make pretty much anything you want to make. All right. Yeah. So, um, what would, what would be like an example of a creative, a creative shoot that you kind of built or created that, that was, that was fun and you were happy with? I mean, last year I was doing, and you can scroll down on my Instagram last year, I was doing a lot of super colorful work and Mm -hmm. that was all, so it was a a three tone, uh, continuous lighting. Uh, So I have three newer panels Mm -hmm. and red, green, blue in that order creates a rainbow spectrum of light mm-hmm. and so you get this beautiful like rainbow look on somebody so that on its own is pretty cool you can shoot that with like a diffusion filter like a cinebloom or a dream mm-hmm. effects filter um, and get this really nice like vintage stylized vibe you can also then add a strobe light and have that at a really low power setting and have your shutter speed really low and so when you take the photo you get that nice rainbow and you can blur it so the rainbow image of somebody is on one part of the frame and the strobe hit image that's in focus and like sharp is on another part of the frame. And I find that is a very, very cool result. And then if you start playing with in-camera effects like prisms and things like prism lens effects has a kaleidoscope prism that I've abused, you can get kind of like a, a sharp version of somebody and then a bunch of rainbow blurred versions of them around, which again, is extremely cool. Mm. And I've played with that basic formula quite extensively. I'm kind of over it now, but last June, I was like really obsessed in a big way with this look. So the, the, um, the extra, extra prism filters, I've never done, uh, I've never worked with something like that. So what is, what is that? 
I mean, what does it do or how does that work? I got it. Hang on. I don't, I'll, I'll, I'll grab it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I've got a bunch of them right over here. Yeah. So these, and I'm sorry for the podcast listeners. I'm holding up a bunch of black sachets of, of filters, but little filter basically bags. These are custom, custom made uh, things that this company in California makes. And it's called prism lens effects. There's a bunch mm-hmm. of them. You can get cheaper versions by Nisha, but these go on the lens and depending on what aperture you're shooting on, it's going to have really different results. Mm-hmm. So shooting on a higher aperture, these are going to be the, the delineation between images in this kaleidoscopic view is going to be really sharp. Whereas okay. if you're shooting on like F 2.8, they're all going to blur together and be a little bit creepy. I find this is really cool for double exposures on film because you can take the texture shot is like a, like a tessellation of this person's eyeball. And then the silhouette shot has gets filled in by that eyeball repeating pattern or something, okay. right? Like okay. it, there's hours of opportunity. <laughs> I find them very fun to use and, and they're guilty pleasure things. Cause they don't like, Oh, my necklace. Um, they're guilty pleasure things. Cause they don't produce like, you know, a, a magazine quality result that you'd necessarily want to sell to a client, but you know, a musician making an album cover mm. would probably really appreciate something like this and they're artsy and fun. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it looked, they look cool. I mean, I saw some of your, your pictures that clearly used them and I was like, Oh wow. That's interesting. There's all kinds. Yeah. Yeah. These okay. ones are a bit expensive, but the Nisha ones are a lot cheaper. Okay. The glass is not as good, but if you just wanted them to like play around with and you're not looking for something that's like particularly tack shark or whatever, the Nisha ones also really work, and you can get those on B and H Photo. Okay, cool. I didn't, I didn't think about the aperture like affecting the prism effect. That's cool. I mean, then you can kind of play with the the sharpness of it. Yeah, it's really cool, and especially <laughs> when you combine it with strobes, then you get this really crystalline like delineation of of images in the the kaleidoscopic view. It's neat. It's neat. Okay. All right. Well, maybe I'll have to try with that. Yeah. Um, the, the closest I came was using a wine glass and like holding that in front of the, the lens. Also kind of fun. Oh uh, yeah. Well, yeah. that, that's this one photographer who's like an absolute master of the craft, uh, Eliza Vita Pro Dina. I'm sure you're familiar. Lots of people are, but she uses like, yeah, wine glasses or bottles to twist the light in really interesting ways that she used to in her older work. Um, and that sort of inspired a lot of my early work because it's just such a weird way to manipulate light. That's cool. I've, I've seen some people who also are like shooting their strobes through glass bottles and stuff to make interesting patterns. And yeah, oh, so, I haven't seen yeah. that. Yeah, Ooh. it could be fun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you, you had mentioned before that you've got a couple of, of lighting setups that you like and that you think are good for film. So what would, what would that be? Yeah, so that that rainbow kind of look that I had described earlier um, is a really good choice for film, just because, especially with the the diffusion filter, which I think I do have here as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so this makes digital photos look like film, and it makes mm-hmm. film photos just glow and glimmer in this really beautiful, nostalgic way. And so when you have this crazy rainbow lighting setup and then this glow and glimmer of nostalgia, the two combine, like, it, it's just, like rosemary and chicken you know they're just meant to be uh this is the dream effects filter and sorry it's kind of dirty but 
Uh, maybe if I put it over the lens, you can see. It just blurs and, and it um, softens shadows a little bit. It can okay. help to smooth skin. So mm -hmm. if somebody's got like a lot of pores very visible or like acne or something, pop this over the lens um, and it'll help to eliminate some of that, which is helpful on film because I know mm. a lot of people don't like to edit, retouch their film photos. Um, I don't blame you. I don't either. So yeah, this is like a good kind of alternative to that. It's like the Vaseline on the lens thing that they used to do in old Hollywood. Is that is that similar to like a like a pro mist filter or something like that kind yeah. of diffusion? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a diffusion. It'd be really similar to a pro mist. Okay. Probably a cool. dental. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you never there's so many names for everything and you're never sure like is that the same thing with a different name or is it actually something different <laughs> yeah or cinebloom uh by tiffin i think is cinebloom um same okay. thing okay cool um so what what would be some advice for you for for new people who want to get into either either studio lighting or or strobe in general and um, whether they're shooting digitally or on, on film or, you know, starting with digital and kind of aiming to get into it with film, what would be some kind of things to watch out for or tips that would help be helpful? Oh my God. Okay. Well, gear acquisition syndrome is a trap mm -hmm. and it's when you're just getting into photography, it's a bit of a trap, but as soon as you start messing with lighting, it becomes like this wormhole pitfall <laughs> where all your money is going to go. So <laughs> there's always going to be something better. But if you're not able to create photos that you're happy with, with the gear that you have, it's not the gear's fault. You want to get to a point where you're creating photos that you're happy with, with what you have, and you're getting tired of those photos mm. because you can only create so many of them that's when you want to kind of advance to the next stage of gear acquisition. And, you know, this is something that I struggle with as well, because I feel like I'm always looking at my photos and like, ah, if I had like one more light, or if I just had another strip box, then I could do, you know, that, that this is a different look. Like, uh, I just need this. I just need that. Not really. <laughs> like you can always work with what you have to create something interesting. And that is the challenge of good photography. It's not buying as much as you can and having way too many options and overwhelming yourself. So that would be my piece of advice is just, you know, start really simple. Start with one LED panel and then, and then just build from there. Would you, would you recommend starting with continuous light? I guess it depends on where you're coming from as a photographer. Um, if you're coming from being really comfortable with an on-camera flash and like all your photography is on-camera flash, then no, start with strobes. Mm. But if you're coming from being a natural light photographer, um, like I came from doing a lot of stuff with neon signs and neon lights and found lighting, um, I found continuous to be a really helpful starting point. Um, that said, as soon as I got into studio, I bought this really expensive continuous light and I used it like 10 times. And then I wanted a strobe. So <laughs> if you're shooting in studio, just just go straight to strobes. Don't don't make my mistake. They they're a learning curve, but it's going to be worthwhile. Yeah. How do you how do you go about um, if you're if you're doing a shoot in studio and do you then like switch between digital and and film or how do you? Yeah. So people are like, oh, do you have a light meter? I'm like, no, no, I got this, and I switched my digital camera. <laughs> Because yeah. you can take a picture with your digital camera, set it to settings that you're able to replicate on your film camera, take the picture. Okay, it works. Okay, now switch the, the strobe trigger over to the film, and I'll take a few film shots. Um, I never just gun it out of the gate with film because, mm. oh my God, I'm not like a rich person. But <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I find like using the digital camera as a light meter, very effective. Yeah, no, that's great. And and not only can you get the exposure, but you can also kind of see where it's hitting and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you're saving yourself a lot of money with the guess and test action. And yeah. usually, you know, for each studio set, I'll do like two to three photos on film. Mm -hmm. And I always edit those photos too. I never mm -hmm. um, just, you know, oh, this is on film. There we go. It's, it's done because the film adds, you know, enough of the color aspect that mm -hmm. I want. No, I'll always edit that as well because... Oftentimes you want to pop the shadows and, and, you know, pop the highlights, reduce the shadows, things like that. Do that to film photos too, especially when they're in studio, you'll get much better results. Yeah. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And so um, I was just thinking, cause you also, it's also nice to do some pictures on digital first and kind of get warmed up and also let the model get warmed up and, you know, get used to being photographed, whoever that might be so talk a bit about working with models and maybe new models and you know more experienced models and what what are some of the things that you i don't know yeah your experience? So the model the model has a huge huge impact on the quality of the photograph and it's not just about how they look so the maybe one of my biggest pet peeves is new models who think that just because they are skinny and pretty and tall that that's all of the ingredients and they've got what it takes to model. And then they'll show up at my studio and they will stand in front of the camera and they will not move. They will stand like this. And that'll be it. <laughs> and it's like, okay, suddenly my job as a photographer has gotten a lot harder because not only do I have to think about lighting and my angle and my lens and all of this, but I also have to think about your pose and how you're like, I have to micromanage how you're moving. That makes my life way harder. So if I'm doing creative shoots, I am pretty much only working with experienced models who are professional, who have been paid for their work, who have been doing it for years. I don't want to work with somebody who, you know, has been told that they're pretty and therefore they can model. Uh, I also think that's like a little bit, uh, not demeaning, but it's taking for granted the work that models actually do, right? Mm. Models, it's not easy. It's not just standing yeah. there looking pretty. Like, you have, if you want to be a good model, you need to to know how to model, which is yeah. a full job, a full creative discipline on its own. And, and and thinking like, oh, I can just show up because I'm pretty and model is really taking that for granted and, and doing a disservice to all the professional models out there who work so hard on it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and how do you how do you help then somebody new or somebody who's maybe not as comfortable um how do you help get them into that place where you want them to be to get get the pictures you want to get yeah so for me i actually have like a pinterest board and this is something that um my fellow photographer uh, jay lapata you can find him on instagram he recommended to me and it's been very helpful you get a pinterest board with all of your favorite poses posing inspo you know we've got a po uh, pinterest board for doubles, a Pinterest board for triples, a Pinterest board for singles. And when in doubt, pull that Pinterest board out and just, just have it on the computer next to you open and point and be like, can you do mm -hmm. this? Can you do that? Can you do this one? And it saves you the issue of like having to get into place and like, okay, now I'm on the box. I'm like, can you go like this? Can you like put your hand up here? Yeah. Just like, just like this. And then they try to replicate it. It's way easier. They're just mirror this photo, do exactly this. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of shows them that sort of mind body connection that's required for good modeling too. And once they're in it, now they can kind of extrapolate and, and do some fun things themselves uh, based on the poses that you show them. So I find that really helpful. Do you see, do you see that, that switch sometimes at some point there's, you know, you might have somebody who's either a bit nervous or a bit, 
unsure or stiff. And then at some point they like, they get it. Yeah. And it feels so good. Oh my God. It's like when you have like a, like a crick in your back and you're like trying to stretch it and then suddenly it cracks and you're like, Oh, oh, okay. There we go. There it is. That's how it feels midway through a photo shoot. You're like, Oh, okay. Here, we're getting photos. This great. I'll just delete the whole first half of the shoot because the second half of the shoot is fire. (laughs) All of, all of a sudden they're like, they start moving and, and being present and really, really in it then. Yeah. or, that's or if, such a good feeling. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, I always love that. Really cool. I totally agree. I always, I always hate having to stop them. Then, like when they're when they're in it and they're going, it's like I just keep taking pictures, and then it's like, okay, we got to we got to change something. We we've done like two hundred of this now, so let's let's do something yeah. else. But I don't want to interrupt. Keep yeah. that keep that groove. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally feel it. That's cool. Um, what about uh, another another section on your website was your publications, and so you've got a bunch of a bunch of like I guess digital tear sheets they'd be called kind of up there from different magazines or or things that you've shared. Um, talk a little bit about that. How does that work, and how does that help you as a photographer? Yeah, so that's kind of a funny um, genre, I guess. I'm probably going to get rid of that publication section in the near future because I'm kind of over it. But Mm -hmm. there is a way, there's like a website called Caviar where Mm -hmm. you can submit your work for publication and magazines will oftentimes accept it and publish it in print. And then you can buy that magazine and see your work in print. And so the utility of it is sort of, this is going to sound so bad, to manufacture legitimacy in a way, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's like, look, I've been published in 60 magazines and people don't need to know that I submitted to these magazines and they're for-profit magazines and and they don't need to know any of that. They just need to see the tear sheets and Mm. think, okay, yeah, she's been published in 60 magazines. I'm past that, I think, because I have legitimacy from other sources um, now, more legitimate sources that haven't been manufactured by me. But for new photographers and new models, it can be a really good stepping stone into getting paid magazine work or paid published work because you're demonstrating to people who might be looking for that that you have the caliber of work to be published in a magazine um and i I have gotten some gigs that way um paid gigs published gigs um by you know showing that publication section on my website but yeah now it is kind of like a i don't want to call it a gray zone but there's there's shadiness to this website caviar that I don't really want to exemplify anymore. So probably going to ditch that soon, but um, definitely. Worth, and also sorry to go on, but makeup artists need tear sheets to get in makeup artists and hairstylists to get into certain professional um, stores. So if oh, you okay. don't have your like estheticians license, but you have a bunch of like a portfolio of tear sheets that shows your public published work that can count. Um, to get you in to buy these products that are exclusive to professionals. So that's another utility for them. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that about the makeup artists. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cause I've, I've, I wondered about that because I mean, you see these, you see a lot of, you know, published on this magazine or that magazine and uh, a couple of the mo- magazine, uh, the models that I've worked with have submitted pictures and they've gotten published and it's like, okay, cool. But it, it feels a bit like self, self-publishing almost it is it's a bit like self-publishing yeah exactly exactly and then saying oh i've been published and it's like yeah i mean technically you have but like you self-published but like you don't need to say that yeah (laughs) yeah so it's kind of of an interesting thing so i was i was curious to hear your take on that because that was 
that was kind of what I thought about it too. And it's like, well, maybe, I don't know. It, it, yeah. I think it's, it's mostly to appeal to people who are outside the industry. Um, but I do find it maybe a little bit deceptive in that regard, which is why I'm going to, in the near future, remove the publications tab. Um, just cause I don't, I don't want to participate in deceiving people. Well, and I mean, it's, it's a different thing if, you know, you've been published in Vogue or, you know, your, your editorial has been picked up by a big magazine or something like that. That's a different thing than if you're kind of submitting it yourself. And of course you can submit yeah. to these, these big magazines too, but kind of this, you know, print on demand internet magazine thing is kind of a different genre, but, yeah. um, do you do you find I mean I, I hear often that the print magazine like Vogue and the Bazaar and the big fashion magazines, of course they're still around, but this kind of market for print magazines is kind of non-existent. Has that also been? Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like most of the the published work that I've had has been published in like either newspaper type advertisement things or online. Um. I think I've only been in a print magazine like two times in my entire career. Like, like a, a legitimate one that I haven't submitted to. Um, I, I do find that, yeah, that, that market is kind of dying. And as it dies, getting more exclusive, hmm. um, which is unfortunate. But at the yeah. same time, there's more and more kind of online media being produced all the time. So I guess that balances it out to oh, some yeah. extent. Yeah, yeah. And the market for, for content creators um, is massive. So if you're a photographer, every content creator needs photography. You're in luck. <laughs> the market's huge. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so coming back to back to film again, um, what I guess we kind of touched on this in, at the beginning, but what are the what are the things that are a benefit for you when you're when you're shooting with film? The things here, do you want to be more specific? Yeah, like what, um, what is it about film that is, is, helps you in your photographic journey? Putting it that way. I does, think, it, does it, does it help you become a better photographer by shooting film? I, yeah, I definitely think so. And I think it is the selectivity, the selectiveness, um, when I'm out doing photography with my digital camera, I am taking, you know, 200, 300 photos in a street photography session, and then I have to edit them, and then they sit on my hard drive, and I never look at them, and maybe I'll look at them like four months from now, and then they're old. You know, when I'm out with my film camera, I'm taking at, like, max 36, because that's, that's what I got, you got 36 images. Um, I could be out, you know, in, in Buenos Aires, I was out for seven and a half hours, and I took... 36 photos and every one of those photos was like some of my best work my absolute favorite film photo i've ever taken right each one and getting 36 of like the absolute best photos you could possibly take is a lot more creative creatively fulfilling than getting 300 photos that have sat on your hard drive for four months and you haven't touched um so that to me like just in terms of of creative fulfillment film has much more utility uh, than digital for me in that regard. When, when you're, when you're taking pictures with film and the thoughtfulness that goes into that, um, what is preventing you, me or anybody from taking that same mindfulness with digital? I think the option 
right? Like with digital, I have the option to hedge my bets. So I've got to hedge my bets. Like, and I, I can't think my way out of that. Like if, mm. if a car goes by right as I'm taking this photo and it interrupts my photo, I'm just going to wait there for somebody else to walk to that photo. I'm going to take that photo again. I, I'm not going to like, oh, well, maybe I got the car. Maybe I didn't get the car. Maybe I'll Photoshop the car out later. No, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to take it again. With film, that photo is costing me like three bucks. So how badly do I want it? Do I want it $3? Do I want mm. to spend $6 on this photo now? <laughs> 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 no, I, you know what? Screw it. It probably wasn't that great anyway. Maybe the car's in it. Maybe it's not. I'll find out a week from now when I get this developed. But I'm going to move on. I'm going to take the next photo. I'm going to, you know. And I'm going to strive to get my very best work because, yeah, I'm spending like three bucks each photo. Being yeah. super mindful. Digital, yeah. I mean, it's nothing. So, yeah. Cool. <laughs> do, you, do you do your own uh, development or scanning or anything? I should. I <laughs> no, I no, you shouldn't. If you don't want to, you shouldn't. <laughs> no, I want to. I want to. I'm just so scared. It's the next step, you know, and... and I mean, I've been shooting film for like two years now, and I really should uh, take that next step at some point. But I'm maybe a little bit terrified of it just because each film photo matters so much and mm. 36 of them. And then the possibility of ruining all 36 in, in one moment of oversight is terrifying. I would much rather that be someone else's fault. <laughs> <honestly>. <laughs> well, that's, that's completely legitimate. I, it's just curious because um, I developed my own black and white. Um, but I don't develop color and just because it's, I have a lab here who does it for 350 and it's like down the street from me and it's just like, I take it there and I pick it up the next what? day and, and I just, there's no reason for me to develop color myself, you know? Oh my God. 350. Yep. I could yeah. save up all my film and just fly to Germany for cheaper sure, than yeah. developing it here. Yep. What the heck? Yep. Dang. That's not yeah. bad, man. Yeah. It's yeah. like $20. Uh, Per roll to get developed and scanned for me, okay. uh, or twenty four dollars after tax. Wow. So each roll of film costs twenty dollars, and then developing it costs twenty dollars. So that's where I get that two fifty per photo. Per figure photo, from. yeah. It's not cheap. No, no, it's definitely it's not cheap. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Some, sometimes I write it off as a business expense, but we won't tell the tax people that. No, that's a business expense. Totally, yeah. For me, it is. For you, um, definitely, yeah. But yeah. looking back at the amount that I spent last year, I was like shocked how little. I It was $270 on all film and development, which wow. is actually way cheaper than that's I thought bad. it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I shoot like a roll a month, which I guess works out, but um, apparently I only shoot like a roll every three months. Okay. <laughs> yeah which does not bode well for my aspirations to be a film photography influencer <laughs> maybe we'll pick up the pace <laughs> well is that is that something that you that you would want would you want to shoot more film yeah yeah, yeah i want to i want to there's like there's like again it's like this mental aspect of it where each photo that you take on film has to be the absolute best photo um and i'm really trying to overcome that and and now buying more film has sort of helped me to overcome that because it's it's no longer a scarce quality like i've got a fridge packed mm. with film that i need i need to shoot it i have to do it so now i bring my film camera everywhere and i'm like really trying to like get over that hang up about not wasting it right mm. it's not wasting it to use it using it on anything it's not wasting it unless you're like shooting blank things by accident right yeah um so that's something that i've had to like nail into my head 
it's okay if you just want to take a picture of your friends eating ice cream on film like you could do that and and it's fine <laughs> no one's gonna come after you yeah have you have you ever done like a sh- uh, f- i don't know fashion shoot or like a portrait shoot only with film one time one time, one time. and it turned out it turned out good i like mm-hmm. the results i don't know why i've only ever done it once um i made a video about it in uh in seattle and it was me and another photographer and we both had the same camera and the same film and so we were able to like both two photographers shoot the same model challenge sort of thing um with the exact same camera which is pretty cool uh that's cool, i like yeah. my result yeah but i also feel like part of me feels kind of bad because i'm bringing this model out here and in the end she's gonna get like 12 good photos mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like we spend an hour and a half we walk around the city we walk like two kilometers here are your 12 photos yeah. which i don't know i'm not sure that's fairly standard but i uh just get hang-ups <laughs> yeah well i mean how many how many good pictures do you need from a shoot honestly that's a great question and i tend to over deliver which is something that's consistently been on my goals list to, to stop doing but um maybe yeah maybe shooting entirely on film would be a really good way to like Sorry, that's all you get. That's all I took. All there, <laughs> there aren't any more. That's all of them. <laughs> there aren't any more. That's it. Yeah. So you can you can mirror them. Now you got yeah. now you got seven or something. But same same photos. Here's the ones with you blinking. Here's the ones with your mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, another thing too is that a lot of the times when I shoot film, I'm trying out new film stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't like exhausted the, the realm of possibility by any means yet. And so pretty much every film in my fridge is different. And so okay. if I'm shooting a new film stock, I want to try it out in like as many different places as possible. I want to try sure. some with strobes, some continuous, some natural, some portraits, some landscapes some street photos some nature, you know, everything. Mm. Um, and so I feel like if I'm shooting just, just, you know, natural light portraits for an entire set, and I'm wasting my opportunity to try out this interesting, mm. rare film stock that I have, which which is BS, right? I, I got to get over that. But um, that's another well, thing. That would, that would maybe be the good, you know, second role of that film where, you know, it's like, OK, I like the look this has with the portraits in this kind of environment. Then that would be the second role. So you can. Yeah. Maximize you know. it. Right. Not just test yeah. it. Um, yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. OK. Um. I'm kind of running out of questions. What what else is, yeah. is interesting for you with film and what what is it? I don't know. No, it's 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 a really interesting topic. Um I really want to like encourage people to try out more lomographic techniques. Mm-hmm. And that's not just about like lomography the company, although lomography the company is an excellent repository of lomographic techniques, but there's ways to influence film that you simply can't replicate digitally. And I think that's part of what makes the medium so fascinating as mm-hmm. well. Um, like like Lomochrome Purple gets a gets a reputation for being a bit of a meme stock, but mm-hmm. you can't really get that color palette digitally. You can, you can try. You can get something and approximate it, but to get it so that it actually looks like it was shot on Lomochrome Purple is, is very difficult mm-hmm. um, digitally. So taking advantage of that aspect of film, I think anybody out there who hasn't shot with film or hasn't has only shot Kodak Gold 200 or whatever, um, do try that out because <laughs> it, it's a lot more creatively fulfilling when you're doing something unorthodox and getting cool results. Hmm. Yeah. What would what would be some other lomographic techniques that 
Like, well, okay, so a bunch of these get a bad rap, and I don't understand why. Like, r slash analog uh, community, they're often talking about how these, like, oh, this, you're following trends and, and, and doing all this. But it's like you don't have to shoot photos with the intention of getting the perfect photo every time. You can shoot photos just for fun and do fun things for the experience rather than for the results. And so things like the action sampler, which takes mm-hmm. four photos using a little pinwheel that goes when you take the photo and you get like a little moving gif that's like super low low res because it's, <laughs> you know one fourth of a 35 millimeter frame extremely cool or film soup where you mm-hmm. like take a, a roll of photos and then you like put it in water with like herbs and flowers and whatever and then develop that and you get crazy state like double exposure you know you shoot an entire roll of texture shots did i freeze oh my god oh there I am. yeah it's, um, it's breaking up a bit shoot an entire roll oh sorry all right how's that yeah yeah i think i think so yep we'll see okay yeah you shoot an entire roll of texture shots and then you shoot an entire roll of of silhouettes and you see how they line up and sometimes they do sometimes they don't stuff like that you you can't do that with digital You, you literally can't so it's a lot more fun to experiment with film than i think we give it credit for sometimes yeah well, that's cool. That's it's it's a different perspective than what I have because I'm I'm definitely in that kind of control and perfectionist kind of mindset, and so I I have my for my black and white photography I use mostly the same film stock and mostly the same developer, so I've got kind of that consistency, and um, I, I like playing with other films too. But it's like okay, I'm going to do a fashion shoot, and I know I like this look, I like this film, and I'm gonna I'm gonna use these these things. So, um, it's, it's so interesting how different people have different kind of mindsets and how to, how to exchange those things. Yeah, no, that is. And that's again, something that I haven't experimented with much is actually like shooting film to get an extremely good result rather than just to see what result I can get, you know? So that, that's cool. That's, that's how you approach it. Maybe maybe we should trade. Maybe I should just do some crazy experimental stuff, and you can do some. Uh... Yeah, <laughs> I'll do a full fashion shoot on yeah. uh, on Cinestill or something. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, let's um, let me see if I put that up right so let's let's um share all of your social stuff and i think i i went and copied it all and i hope i hope i got it all right nice. yeah so you're basically why hansen photography everywhere um mm-hmm. and where would where would you send people who want to see your stuff what would be the preferred place for them to go Honestly, I, I think YouTube is is one of my favorite uh, areas. If you want to see my images, go to Instagram. My Instagram reels, I share new images every day there. But YouTube is where like a lot of my my passion goes. Um, so if you're interested in hearing me talk deeply about photography, that would be a good place to do it. All right, and you've got, as we mentioned at the beginning, you've got a lot of um, like film reviews and that sort of thing. But you've also got some of these uh, deeper, more I guess, social or, or political issues surrounding film. Yeah. Yeah. I was a politician before I was, um, a photographer. So I kind of approach it that way. And, uh, I like to incorporate some of what I learned in politics into my discussions of photography. And there's a lot of ways to do that that you might not think about. So go and watch. <laughs> so we'll go, go watch your videos. Yeah. 
go out and you know feed yourself cool well thanks so much for coming on this was this was really fun chatting and i uh, hope you enjoyed yourself thanks for having me i did this is great i really appreciate it thanks for taking the time to, to hear me out and ask my opinions I, I do appreciate it a lot yeah all right well for everybody out there listening um we didn't share any pictures on this episode so you uh you don't need to go watch the youtube but you can if you want to see our faces and our i would definitely recommend it just to see uh yvonne's expressions and gesticulations that's definitely was worth <laughs> it and um <laughs> I will share the contact info in the show notes and as well as on our 2016 Discord channel. And until next time, um, have a great time and we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye.